And yeah, what if I tried something like this? You know, maybe a It's a little laid back. Maybe you want something a little heavier. Uh, well, probably not heavy, but you're now listening to. Hello, guys. Internet friends, it's been about a week, and here we are. We're back. It's all happening. It's still happening. This week, I chatted with my friend, my actual friend in life, 3D friend, uh, Philippa Klein. She's a counseling therapist. She's an awesome person. She's based in Montreal. Do you know what? Let me just go to the side and say this for a minute. She is based in Montreal working as a counseling therapist, and um, you should check out her website, philippaklein.com. That's Philippa with one L right in the middle and then two Ps at the end, philippaklein.com. Um, because you're probably going to like her after this and you're going to want to be her friend, which I don't know if she's taking applications for that, but she's definitely taking applications. Do people take applications? In any case, she could be your therapist. You're probably going to want her to if you live in Montreal. Um, so check out her website. She writes very interesting things about relationships and therapy and human connections. Anyway, she's awesome. You're going to see that. You're going to hear that for yourselves in a moment. So I'll be quiet about that. The question we asked was, does being in a relationship suck? That was the question, because a couple weeks ago, we had Jimmy Cassidy on. We did, does being single suck? And we thought, only fair enough to give two sides to the story. So does being in a relationship suck? That's the question. And I'll tell you right now, the answer is sometimes. That's what she says. And that's what I say. (sighs) How much info about my personal life should I give away? Not so much, you guys. Not right now, okay? All right. Okay. All right. You'll hear. You'll hear a little bit. Also, I'm pretty quiet in this episode. Um, basically, just because I was getting schooled, and I think everything Philippa has to say is interesting, so I just listen and go, "Yeah." I tried to be a smartass here and there because I don't know. I think you expect it of me, and I think it's what you enjoy about my personality. So I tried to do that here and there, and you'll hear that too. This one definitely could have gone on longer, but you know, we have to cut these things off at some point. I think Philippa will be back. I enjoyed having her. What else? Is there anything else? You'll, you'll be soothed by her voice. If you're anything like me, I'm soothed. I'm soothed by it. Did I mention that she's my actual friend? I'm lucky in that way. I just get to lie around on her actual bed and listen to her talk, which is great. There's some info about my personal life. Were you waiting for that? Because you got some. Look at that. Okay, guys, I've apparently I've forgotten how to do intros and or never learned. But in any case, thank you for listening and uh, enjoy this one. It's, it's, it's interesting. Maybe not laugh a minute, but freaking interesting, you guys. So listen, learn, apply these techniques in any relationships you're in with humans or even your cat. I think it would work. The question is, does being in a relationship suck? Okay, so... Sometimes <laughs> it sucks really badly. <laughs> yes. We should, you know what? We should just tell everybody this was kind of a, what's the word we're looking at? It's kind of a false question. We kind of forced the question because I just want to talk to you about relationships and I couldn't think of a proper way to ask. Yeah. So you really don't have to answer that. Okay. About if it sucks or if it doesn't suck. Yeah. Just tell me everything you know about relationships. Everything I know about relationships. <laughs> well... I'll tell you some stuff that I know about relationships, and that's what we were talking about that you really liked, is that idea 
you know, that we have these days of, you know, self-actualization, how you don't deserve a good relationship unless somehow you've magically fixed yourself and you love yourself, and when you're perfectly in love with yourself, then you deserve to have this magical relationship with another person who has fixed themselves and loves themselves, and then you can, like... You know, skip off. Yeah, a lot of people talk like that. Like, I can't be in a relationship right now. I just need to, like, figure myself out. I have too many issues. I have too many problems. Yeah, like, I'm not deserving. I'm not deserving of a good relationship because I'm too fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very common theme. Well, I don't know if you've heard of attachment theory. Only because of you. (laughs) And because you don't have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) So those of you who have babies have heard of attachment theory, and that's this idea that if you respond to your children's needs while their brain is developing, so when they cry, you pick them up. This is not being overly responsive. This is not being, like, on top of them before anything happens. But when, you know, your child needs something, you respond to them, and you hold them, and you comfort them, it makes their brains grow in the right way. And when their brains grow in that way, what happens is when they have uh, stress or emotional crisis, the brain doesn't go straight to the limbic system, right? The limbic system is the thing that makes you freak out. It's like, out. oh, shit, it's not going to, oh, no, yeah. everything's bad. This is not going to work out for me. Exactly. It's the thing that makes you have a panic attack mm-hmm. or a heart pound or you freak out. or Oh, I'm familiar with the limbic yeah, system. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> so if you are securely attached, you come from a family where you were well taken care of and you formed good brain chemistry, then the theory is, is that you're securely attached, then you can go out into the world and roam independently. So it's actually through connection that kids learn how to be independent. Right. It sort of flips it on its head. The idea is it's actually through relationships, through good relationships, that we feel safe and we feel good and confident. It's not actually being independent that makes us feel confident. It's actually being connected. I can take care of myself. Yes. This is fine. Let's, let's talk about your relationships. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk oh, no, about no. your mother. What no. was going on hey, there? come huh? on. Well, we could. <laughs> I was just voicing that person for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... I like this idea because what it does is it allows for people to sort of say, wait a minute, it's okay for me to be vulnerable. It's okay for me to need somebody. If I need somebody, I actually get something. And there's also this idea that if you are needed, it's not actually being independent that makes us feel confident. It's actually being connected. I can take care of myself. This is fine. Let's let's talk about your relationships. Yeah. Let's talk oh, no, about your mother. What no, was going on hey, there? Come huh? on. Well, we could. I was just voicing that person for you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I like this idea because what it does is it allows for people to sort of say, "Wait a minute. It's okay for me to be vulnerable. It's okay for me to need somebody. If I need somebody, I actually get something." And there's also this idea that if you are needed, you know, if your partner says to you, "I, I need you." It actually feels good for someone to feel needed and be needed. It's a transaction. It goes yeah. back and forth, right? So when relationships suck <laughs> is when you feel like you need somebody and they feel distant or they're far away or so you're anxiously attached where you know, you're know you texting them every two minutes because you feel as soon as they are not in your presence that they're going to run away. Yeah. And that's a lot of that has to do with how we were brought up and our feelings of security. So, yeah, that's to me, you know, when relationships suck is when we don't figure out how to be securely attached. So we're like little kids, essentially. Yeah. We all have little kids inside of us who just want to be held. Tell me more about that. Uh-huh. Because I remember once you're talking about, um, you do a lot of couples therapy. Yes. And I'm probably not going to phrase this the right way, but it was something about speaking from like the deeper need or from the little kid yeah like and when couples learn to re- respond to each other in that way they're communicating 
at a, at a, I don't know, quote, better level or yeah, talk to me about this. Okay. There's, this, I think what you're talking about is this idea of primary and secondary emotion. That's exactly what yeah, I'm talking about. Is that what you're getting to? Yeah. Okay. And I gave this little metaphor. Yeah. I'll, I'll give the metaphor of the little kid, right? There's a little kid and you step on his toes and he starts to cry. And what do you do? You want to, you know, take you, take him in his arm, in your arms and comfort him. Oh, I'm sorry. It must hurt to be having your toes step on. You know, let me give you a hug. Right. Yeah. And then the kid. Okay. I feel better. You have the same little kid. You step on his toes and he hauls off and he whacks you in the face and kicks you in the shin. What do you do? You're like, whoa, hey, hey, don't do that. That's, that's, that's wrong. But really it's the same thing that's going on. He's reacting in anger because he's actually hurt and scared and feeling vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So the secondary emotion is the anger, and the primary emotion is the hurt and the sadness. So what couples often don't understand is when there's anger, when people are yelling and when people are criticizing and when they're attacking, that really what that is is underneath there a really strong need to be heard and felt and supported and cuddled and you know taken care of, not... Yeah. It, but what happens instead is the other partner will either withdraw or attack back and say, no, don't yell at me like that or I'm running away because I can't deal with it. But really what's underneath there is the partner that is yelling and being angry is really saying, I feel abandoned and lonely and I really need you and, and I want you to step forward. So that's an, it's called an interactional pattern. Yeah. And really what happens is those secondary emotions, the anger, the criticism, they're the way that we cope. They're the way we put up walls so that we don't actually have to deal with the vulnerabilities that are scary. Because yeah. like, whether or not you're in a couple, that's how a lot of adults respond to the world, right? Absolutely. This I think is, we've yeah. just learned. We like go to the <laughs> secondary emotion level. Yeah, well, the secondary emotion is what happens immediately. It's really quick. Like if you want to go neurobiological on this. You oh, know, I, like, I do want to go, go neurobiological neuro- neuro- on this. Let's go neurobiological, right? Yeah, you know, this attachment theory stuff has to do with how you sort of form these connections in your brain. So if you didn't have the good secure attachments in your life, then often what happens is you go straight to that limbic system, right? Mm-hmm. The fight or flight. Mm-hmm. What's fight or flight? Fighting or running away. Right. So that's what happens to Wait. people. Are you saying there's a third option? There's a third option. <laughs> well, the third option is, you know, interaction, oh. right? The third option yeah. is not to protect or run away. The third action is actually to seek out connection and actually be vulnerable. Um, most of us... You know, myself included. No, like that's not magic. We all like this. Most of us really think that if our partner saw the kind of flawed, vulnerable, scared little person that we are on the inside, that they would reject us completely. Yeah. So we often try to protect that and not show it because we feel like if it's seen and that's rejected, then then we're really being rejected. Yeah, I got nothing else. You got nothing else. <laughs> this is done. it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's. I mean, it's. It's very normal and natural, and it happens. And when you look at partners and you say, well, why is it that you know, we're fighting over the mayonnaise jar having crumbs in it? You know, stupid things. That... Because it's freaking gross, so <laughs> okay. that's why. <laughs> okay, besides the gross... Keep your crumbs <laughs> out of my mayonnaise is what I would say. Really? I'd love to put my crumbs in your mayonnaise, yeah. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> It's so gross. Like, what are your crumbs? <laughs> in that, in I don't want to know what your mayonnaise is. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. Okay. okay. So crumbs are the mayonnaise. People yeah. are upset. Well, people are upset. And what happens is that it's just sort of the reenaction of the pattern all the time. So it's interesting. We say that there's like a withdrawer and a pursuer. So usually you've got like the one partner who's like, you can never do this and you don't listen to me and I don't see you enough and you're always playing video games in your 
man cave or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then the other partner who's the withdrawer is sort of like, you're attacking me, so I'm going to run away. So when the person criticizes, it makes the withdrawer pull away further. But what happens is the person who's criticizing is really saying, I need some attention. I need you to see me. Right. But then the way that they're acting feeds right into the deepest, I won't say fears, but the the, pro, the the withdrawer is usually feeling like he, well, I say he, that's totally gendered, but often it's a guy. Yeah. Uh, he's feeling that he's not good enough. He can't make you happy. He's, you know, failing as a, as a, a partner, you know, and he just wants to sort of curl up in a little ball and all he kind of wants is for his partner to be happy. Yeah. And then this partner's criticizing him, so he just withdraws further. So when and, they're like, I want you to see me, whatever, is it ever a good response to be like, um, then stop being a bitch? Yeah. That's the perfect <laughs> that response. Because when you go attack, attack, all you have is love. Yeah. That's all that happens. Attack, you know, it just cuddles. I mean, one of the ideas is, and it's really hard to do because you're in the middle of fighting, so you're feeling all these secondary emotions, is to stop for a second. And when you see your partner like being really angry at you, if you can stop for a second and say, hey, I see you're really angry. Wow, that must really suck. What's going on? Tell me why you're really angry. And to actually stop the withdrawal attack process and actually turn towards the angry person. Nobody wants to turn towards the angry person, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody just wants to be like, shut up, yeah. run away, I don't care, you're an asshole, whatever it is. But if you actually stop for a second and say, wait a minute, you seem really angry. Are you sad about something? Or is it like, why do you feel this way? You know, or I understand, you validate. And invalidating an angry person is really hard to do. But when you do, like with that little boy, yeah. you know, who kicks you when you step on his toes, if you walked into that little boy and gave him a cuddle even though he had kicked you, you would see him melt. Yeah. And often that happens between couples. You're saying it's hard to invalidate the angry person and I was um, relating to the angry person because that's, that's sometimes <laughs> me. It's also hard to be validated as the angry person because it's, it's just funny. You're like, oh, well, I'm, go- oh, I'm so mad. Yeah, and then yeah. someone's like, oh, so you're mad? And then you're like, oh. <laughs> what am I, now what do I do with all of this? Well, exactly. Yeah. What it does is it sort of changes the pattern yeah and that's what we're trying to do because the idea is that the pattern actually sort of it's it's called escalation it just fuels you know you're angry the person gets further away you get more don't walk away from me why are you walking away from yeah. me right it's fun to be angry sometimes well i mean it's an and their emotions you know yeah. like we have them i'm not saying that what they say is it's not about the fighting it's about the reconciliation do you mean doing it yeah <laughs> doing it and looking at each other's eyes and smiling yeah, yeah sure doing it but doing it and having a, maybe a little bit of a a conversation or a cuddle or a holding something that is that turns you towards each other as opposed to away from each other yeah if couples that can reconcile after a fight they, they can have like a knockdown blowout fight but then afterwards they can sort of say hey oh wow that was you know that's why I was this way, and, and you get the conversation, the really good conversation afterwards. Mm-hmm. Those are the couples that, that feel better about each other. Yeah. But the ones who sort of just pull away from each other and don't want to do it anymore, and they shove that under the rug, like that big pile under the rug just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then the crumbs and the mayonnaise, Yeah. right? It's a tiny little thing. Gross, but tiny. You trip over that because it becomes, you know, every fight that you didn't reconcile beforehand shows up on the table. And then right? it's not about the crumbs and the mayonnaise. It's like, you don't respect me. It's about every crumb in every jar of mayonnaise <laughs> for the last decade. Yeah. You know, it's every time. It's like, you don't respect me. You don't love me. Right. And then what that really means is I'm not good enough. Also, my mayonnaise needs to be clean because if it's not, <laughs> I'm not a good person. And if you see that I'm not a good person, you'll run away from yeah, me. And basically. it's really important to me to have clean mayonnaise. Exactly. That's the moral of the story. 
Yeah. Clean mayonnaise. <laughs> so you're saying that if couples just keep their mayonnaise clean. If they keep their mayonnaise clean. I mean, I don't want to take you out of context or anything. <laughs> don't. It's all right. But I think what I'm understanding. Okay. So walk me through, like, how can a couple learn to change these patterns? I think by f- the main thing is to recognize them. Mm-hmm. You see them happening. Um, you start to see what the person's doing. So you sort of see, oh, I'm, I'm withdrawing. I'm going into the, you know, when she's criticizing or he's criticizing me, I'm, I'm stepping away from that because I don't even want to see it. And then you see that it sort of is escalating. So when you, the first part is recognizing it. But a really important part is looking at your partner as a person and validating them and saying, I see you're really angry. I love you anyways. Can you tell me what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know? It's okay for you to be angry, but I need to know, can you tell me a little bit more about why you're so angry or what it is that's not happening for you and explain. It's like fighting. When people fight, they have, you know, we're all right. And if you, if, you, if you think about two people together, they might have two completely different opinions, but inside their head, they're right, or they wouldn't think that way. Right. So when you're having an argument, what happens, right? You're set up in a way where I'm right, therefore they're wrong. So the only winning of this argument is for the person who, one person to sort of say, well, no, wait a minute, the way that I'm thinking is wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to happen when it's a really important entrenched issue, right? People aren't going to sort of pretend that they think something different. They'll either concede and then resent, right? It's it's, it's very hard to come to uh, compromise. And one really good way of doing that is to sort of say, instead of saying, I'm going to prove my point to you, be like, okay, really explain to me your point. I want to understand your point. I want to understand where it comes from. And you might actually build empathy for the other person's point. And when you do that, it changes the dynamic of the argument. Yeah. And people don't do it that often. Usually what happens is they just become entrenched in, well, I'm right, and if you don't hear me, then that means you think I'm wrong. But how does it feel when you're having an argument and the person you're arguing says, wait a minute, that's really interesting. Tell me why you have that opinion yeah. It de-escalates the argument immediately. I've, I've, personally, I've always been really interested in um, people's realities. Mm-hmm. Because whether it's, quote, right or wrong, it just is what it is for them. Yeah. And this is somewhat to the side, but like when I was younger, I was really close to my grandma, and she started having problems with like dementia and Alzheimer's. So mm-hmm. her version of reality was very far removed from my version of reality or kind of objective reality, but it didn't matter because that's what she was living in. So she'd, you know, think people were stealing from her or whatever. And then it's like, well, we just have to deal with that. Yeah. Like, because that's very true for her. So maybe it's kind of the same sort of thing when, when people have differing views on a, on an event or something that's happening. It's like, it doesn't really matter who's right or wrong. Like you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. Yeah. You have to find... Well, ultimately, what's the goal, right? The goal is to have compromise or to have a relationship that feels safe and comfortable. Most people want to reach out and feel safe with their partners. And when you're constantly entrenched in, in the idea of one person being right and the other person being wrong, it's almost impossible to accomplish that. At the same time, I mean, it's been brought up. It's like, oh, it's easy you say all this. You know, It's easy for you as a therapist to be able to you know, say yeah, just be interested in the conflict. When you're in the middle of all those big secondary emotions and you're screaming and you're yelling, mm-hmm. you're not logical, you know? Yeah. So here's some functional things you can do. Be like, okay, I'm not logical. I'm, I am going to step out and I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going away for half an hour. I'm not leaving this argument, but I can't talk right now. And a really interesting thing um, is that when your heart rate goes over 90 beats per minute, your cognitive function plummets. 
So you can't actually make good decisions when your heart is racing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's like yeah. It's, it's physiologically. That makes sense because if your heart's like evolutionarily, I'm just, mm-hmm. I am just talking some trash right now. Go for it. But if your heart rate's up that high, it's like there's danger, there's yeah. a problem. And so Fight you need flight. to be like single-minded, single-minded focus yeah. on one thing, which yeah. is probably just freaking getting away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're not, you, you really aren't thinking. So, you know, the idea of, you know, anger management stuff about, you know, stepping off, counting to 10, taking deep breaths, it really has to do with reducing the heart rate, reducing the adrenaline, so you can actually think. Mm-hmm. So when you're in a heated argument and you're, you're, you know, you're so angry that your heart is pounding, I, you're not going to come to any resolution at that point. You really do have to step away until like the, the physiological response of anger calms down. Yeah. It's just human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to lead you into some talking about monogamy. Oh, monogamy. <laughs> but I don't know how you don't know, I don't how. know how to ask or what to say or how to connect it all because that was another thing we wanted to talk about in yeah. relationships. Yeah. I have that, you know, this, uh, I was I did this sort of research paper on monogamy um a little bit a while ago and you sort of looking at extramarital affairs and you know when you look at the statistics and this idea that we all have this sort of fantasy that we're naturally programmed I heard somewhere it was like 80%. Well, I mean, it seems really high. If, I mean, I'm not a statistician and I don't want to do the cross numbers, but what it says is the statistics say between 40 and 60% of men and women individually will have an extramarital affair at some point during their long term relationships. Okay. Now, if you want to sort of figure out, okay, if 60% of men and 40% of women are doing this, they may not be in the same couple. When you add all that statistics up, and they also add up the statistics that Anywhere between four, I think it's seven to fourteen percent of marriages are actually consensual, non-monogamous marriages, and then you have seven percent that are non-sexual marriages. You start to come to understand that nobody, you know, you're the exception to the rule if you're, if you're living, if you're the, living this, yeah. this 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 long-term monogamous happy relationship. There's a writer that I love. Her name is Esther Perel. You can go look at her. Um, her TED talk, and it's really interesting where she talks about so this conflict between domesticity and eroticism. You know, so it's how how can you be attracted to somebody and also feel secure with them, right? Because they're sort of in conflict. Yeah. What makes you attracted to someone is like mystery and excitement and distance. Danger. Danger. Yeah. She's a, she, she she pulled all these people in various countries about when they were most attracted to their mate. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when their mate is out of town. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like when their mate's not present. Yeah. It's when they're most attracted to them. Or when they see them in a, a different context, like when they get to step away. So, like, if you see your mate uh, at a business function, you know, and they're surrounded by their peers and you're sort of standing back and watching other people interact, mm-hmm. then when you have that distance, that's when you start to feel attracted like you feel eroticism but you know the but we also say what do we want right now we have relationships that last they're supposed to last what 50 or 60 years i mean we we live for forever now and you're supposed to keep you know somehow keep things passionate but yet secure you're supposed to be able like you know fart in front of your (laughs) partner but yet you still think they're the sexiest thing on the planet like how do you how do you reconcile this um, not that she gives you an answer. <laughs> like it's not. A, there's not an easy answer. I'm like, is that hard though? Because I, I don't. I like. <laughs> be like, I like farting in front of my partner. No, makes but you I mean, feel close. Makes you feel secure. Yeah, but honestly, I don't. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm messed up. But no, when okay my partner, partner. <laughs> when my partner farts in front of me, I just totally love her like crazy. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I is mean, that, I, I was. I, I, it doesn't have to be just farting. It can be like just 
their constant presence. Yeah, okay, yeah, that does get annoying. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you don't have that, right? You're totally attracted to your partner. Why? Because you're always on the road. Yeah, I'm kind of a way So you have that distance connection, distance connection thing, and it probably actually is really good in some ways for keeping the spark, the eroticism alive in your, in your partnership. But we sure. won't go into how it's keeping the No, I'm just like not talking about it right now. I'm just really like, quiet. Sh- mm-hmm. She's going to be listening. <laughs> so now I'm on a tangent and I want to go back to where I was. And that is uh, monogamy. <laughs> that we're not as primates really designed to be monogamous for 40, 50 years with the same partner. I mean, our brain chemistry doesn't really work that way. And we really make it, it's a real pathology. Like if you go into couples counseling and there's like, you know, one partner's had an extramarital affair and then somehow it's set up where that's the bad guy. How could they transgress? Right. But really what the problem is, is, is the lying, you know, and, the, and this, you know, we're forced to think that monogamy is the only way to be. And then heaven forbid that your partner actually had the ability to think sexually about someone else. Right. Something's wrong with them and something's wrong with you. And the way that it's approached is really has, is, I, I think, is, is really unhealthy. When if you sort of depathologize and say, actually, it's superhuman to have these needs and wants outside. So now, how are we going to talk about it? You know, like, what, what are your needs? How can they be met? And I'm not saying that couples should be non-monogamous. It's the way that they should go. But I'm saying that if they choose to be non-monogamous, that it doesn't mean that they don't love each other. Right, it doesn't right. mean that it's not possible. And in couples counseling these days, it's very rare that anybody will even broach the subject of consensual non-monogamy as being an acceptable really? way to be. Yeah, only, I mean, queer populations are different, I right? guess I find that shocking because I, I do live in the queer population. Yeah, so. well, the queer populations have it down, but now they're getting married. Right? I, this is just this is kind of scaring me. It's a little yeah. bit disturbing to me. Because yeah. I mean, it does seem like the, the script is flipping back to like, it, it looks like in the queer community sometimes, like the model relationship is that long-term monogamous married relationship. Yeah, and it's a model that is not working very well for the straight people. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I let's be honest about this: queers are hotter, so <laughs> absolutely, kind of even harder. Exactly, <laughs> especially when you you know you're bi, you know bisexual or you're whatever words you want to say to, you know, multiple genders or, you know, there's all these different variations of how relationships and family can be constructed in the queer community that I think are fantastic. Yeah. And so to sort of change them into this weird model of very structured monogamy, which is really unsuccessful for straight people Mm -hmm. and say, wait a minute, that's where we want to go, I think can be very problematic as opposed to saying, wait a minute, let's look at what is important in human relations. And to me, it's connection. The more connection you have, the more secure connection you have, whether that's with your lovers or with your children or with your parents or with your community, the more independent, secure, and confident you are, the happier you are, the better the relationships you have are. Mm -hmm. So shutting down the potential for relationships to me by saying, no, they have to look this way. I, I worry about it. That doesn't mean I don't support gay marriage. I mean, because if you want to opt in and if you want to, you know, you should have equal rights to, especially on legal, you know, there's all kinds of aspects yeah, yeah. of marriage that are important. So in no way am I saying, you know, gays should not be allowed to get married or queers should not be allowed to get married. But my question is, why do you want to get married, queer people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You kind of reinvented the relationship in a really nice way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, letting that go aside may not be the best way to go. I think it's beautiful to create you know, community and, and family through friendship and love and multiple relationships that can have different ways of being, especially if they're open and honest and, you know, 
yeah. not cheating and they're not sort of pretending that you can live happily ever after, like some rom-com movie, which just doesn't exist. Yeah. We, I, I was, I'm still kind of caught up on the idea that you say like most couples counselors today are not trying to, not, not talking about non-monogamous well, models I mean, or... Say, don't quote me on that, but obviously no, we're being quoted. We're being quoted. <laughs> what I would say is that when I was doing my couples counseling course for my master's at McGill, mm-hmm. that we had a book, a couples counseling book that had a whole giant chapter on extramarital affairs. Okay. And in there, it was like, you can't, the idea that you could allow the person who they, they were having the affair with into the counseling was like, no, you can't do this. And no, it's all about, it, the, all the language about it didn't even allow for the idea that it was, could be possible for a non-monogamous relationship to be a loving relationship. Okay. There was no discussion of it in a straight context. And the only stuff that I could find was on, in a queer context. Like the only articles about non-monogamy were in the context of bisexual women or gay men. And even within the gay man context, a lot of it had to do with sexual non-monogamy, not emotional non-monogamy. Right. Which is very different. You know, there's the difference between sexuality and saying, okay, you can go play, and these are the rules, and the idea that you could actually have two loving partners or multiple loving partners, and it could actually work as a st- structure of relationship. Most of the literature is saying, no, this is too complicated. You can't do it. It's impossible. It's not, it's not human. But if you look at go back in history and look at Aboriginal Canadians' family structures, they were doing it. You know? As humans, we have the capacity. We can love two kids. We can love two parents. We can love five best friends. Mm -hmm. Why is it when all of a sudden it comes down to an intimate partnership relationship? Like, oh, you can only do that with one person. Because jealousy? Sure. I mean, we don't think there's jealousy between parents, jealousy between kids. I mean, jealousy is a natural human emotion. But we have the capacity, and no one admits to that capacity. They have this thing called, uh, I think they call it starvation economy. The idea that oh, you, have yeah. a, you have like $100 of love that you yeah. can give to somebody. <laughs> You're like, I give you all my love. Oh, I've met someone else. I've got to take 50 bucks back from you. you yeah. know? As opposed to the idea that, oh, I give you 100 bucks of love. I'm going to go to the bank and get another 100 bucks of love to give to someone else. And now there's 200 bucks of love in my life. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not really addressed. We're nearing the end of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, is that it? We're done? So what about, I mean, does being in a relationship suck? Sometimes. <laughs> I think you're going to have to come back. Okay. All right. Thanks for chatting with me. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Bye. Bye. Questionable at Best is available every Thursday at nomoradio.com. Check out the website to join in on the weekly Questionable at Best comment thread. Head over there. Talk about this stuff with us. Weigh in. Ask more questions. Answer questions. Get involved. Paint a fence. Make it happen. Join the community. I don't know if there's a community, you guys, and paint a fence is not a thing that people say, so I don't know why I just said it. But um, just go over there. I would love to continue this conversation with you. Support for the No More Radio Podcast Network comes from the Montreal Improv Theater. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Our cool graphic was designed by Charlie Sneaker. Her work is on Instagram, charlie underscore design. That's Charlie with a Y. Do not be fooled. Our super sweet intro and outro music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by comic and renaissance man Mike Carosa. His Twitter is Mike Carosa. That's two R's, two Z's, two A's, although not sequentially. You'll figure it out. Also, I just said renaissance man. If you are listening in the UK, I say to you, renaissance man. I'm Deanne Smith. I have an internet presence. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you again next week.